Good morning, everybody. So we're about to jump on to the Advent lighting of a candle. We're going to read from Isaiah 60. Isaiah 60, verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light. And the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They are gathered together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your, your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nation shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Epaph, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praise of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. From Isaiah. Thank you, Tim. Hello, everybody. Is everybody doing well this morning? Yes. So, we are continuing with Given to Give and Advent. Our first week was kind of a bunch of weeks back. Before I jump into the message today, I want to hit a few more announcements. For all of you guys on Electronic World or who are afraid that there's not enough room for you, guess what? Good news. Officially this week, we can have as many people in here as we want almost. Almost. But I don't expect us to break that number. So I'm just going to say, if you want to come, show up. We have about a 70-something person. It's 25% of the room, which I think we have 346 people is the capacity for this room, uh, according to the placard in the back. So if you have a face mask and you can socially distance, then you're allowed to come in. And if there we break that number, we'll put you upstairs. So we will have room for you. Also to follow that up, I... As Tim announced it about this week, to make it even more specific, Wednesday, uh, we will be having a night of worship where we're going to be, if you join us on Facebook or YouTube, we're going to be worshiping online and it's a way for us to get our eyes and our worship on God. But then a magical thing is happening on Thursday where we're actually connecting with both the, the Zomi Church, and with uh, with the the Islander Church that meets here, and we're all going to be together, and we're going to actually have a unity service for the 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 Christmas Eve service. And when we read the scriptures, we're going to hear many different languages. So we are allowed to have a few people show up. So if you guys want to come, let me know. I would love to have you guys. It will be a little bit limited in numbers, but I would love to have you guys show up. 
um, and experience with us what unity looks like past one culture, but going into us as nations representing God and his voice as we unify for the king and his presence coming. So with all that said, let's jump in the word. So this week is about Magi, right? We're going to be kind of jumping from Matthew 2, chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. I'm going to read it real quick. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, uh, Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, and that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Matthew 2, 1 through 11, y'all. So, you can go to, we're going to review, we're going to go what we've gone over so far, right? So, giving to give is what we've been hitting on. And we've been given a gospel that transforms us. We've been given a Christ who was born, who lived, who walked, and who saves for all of us. But that gospel has been given to change us to reflect the Jesus who saves so that we can give it too. But as we've stepped into this Advent season, we wanted to learn lessons from those who were there when the Savior was born and going up to it. So we see that the prophets testified. They testified of a Messiah coming. And they faithfully walked after that. We see the angels testified of a truth that had already come, right? It's that the Messiah was coming. They wanted to announce that he is here. The shepherds, in all their lowliness, in their place of where they were met in the field, experienced joy because the Messiah who had been promised had come. But what's amazing is, what group do we see left out? Anybody know? The religious were left out. We have not seen anything about the religious. Even going on to today, the Magi, they're not the religious. So at this place, we see that even when, as I said last week, he was presented in a place of fragile had to be cared for 
and came in all the ways that broke all their expectations. And the people he revealed himself to were also broken people who were low and humble. In that same place, the people who were the most prepared for him were not who you would expect. So even let's the lessons of love and worship today, I just want to hit them on real quick. These are our main points. I'm going to kind of hit them, and then we're going to go through a little bit of a detailed characteristics of the Magi, and then we'll come back. So the, the seven points is he uses what we trust to lead to the king. So we see that in this place, there are stars that direct them to the king, right? The second place is, is that we must go on the journey that confronts our beliefs. The third point is do whatever it takes to worship. Number four, we must humble ourselves before the king. Number five, present what is best before the king. Number six, it doesn't matter our background. And seven, we can't compromise for what the world wants. So all of these points, I just wanted to ruminate with us. I wanted to hit, like, I'm not going to explain it more in the story. I'll hit it up more on later. But these are our, our points of love and worship we see throughout this story. There's a place it is to affect us and show us. But do you guys know what time it is? It's testimony time. So you got to remember, it doesn't matter how perfect your words are. But it's about the power of the God who affects us. All right, come on, Miriam. Before I even got it all the way out, Miriam's like, I'm on top of it. Give it up for Miriam. These masks. <laughs> Praise God, amen. God is so good. God is so, so good. So much, so much is going on in my life right now, but I just wanted to give him glory. Um, I don't even know what I'm going to say, but I just, I want him to be glorified. Amen. Um, as we step into the season of Christmas, <laughs> which is funny to me, um, you know, there's a lot of debate about what, when Jesus was born and all that stuff, but none of that really matters and what Christmas really, you know, the, the holiday Christmas, what it really means, none of that really matters. At the end of the day, um, it's a reminder that he came, that he gave his life up for us, and that through him, we can all be saved. Amen? That is the story of Christmas, and I uh, celebrate that every single day. I have to. I have to celebrate that every single day. Um, God has been doing so many amazing things in my life. Uh, the enemy every single day tries to remind me that I am human. <laughs> human. And every, sing and every time he reminds me of that, I have to get down on my knees and remember that he is God. Uh, every time I do that, um, whatever it is I'm battling, I overcome. Whatever stronghold... Whatever lie that the enemy is speaking over my life is broken the moment that I get 
on my knees and I give him glory and I give him honor and I humble myself before him and I remind myself that he is God and I am human. He is Christ and I am human. And he came so that I can have power in him. Um, and so as, as I was just sitting there, uh, I just wanted him to be worshipped. I just wanted him to be glorified. And so I felt like I needed to come up here and give that testimony. Amen. Give it up for me. All right, Bill, let's do it. So uh, this season, I've been thinking of a lot of uh, a few things. And one that's come up over the last several weeks is uh, John 15. This is my commandment that you love each other as I have loved you. And that's this season. And with that, I'm glad to know that this is a house for sinners and not a house for saints. And we come here for healing. And that is uh, what this is all about. Because, you know, if I was perfect, I wouldn't need Christ. So that's, that's all I, I have. And that's what I've been thinking this last few weeks. I want to thank both of you guys because you guys didn't know it, but you're foreshadowing the message without even knowing it. Hallelujah. We bless both of you guys. So, to start this message off, I want to talk about one of the most amazing things about this story to me. Like, I don't know if you guys get it, but they straight up, they followed a star to Jesus. And, like, I really... I. I kind of nerded out. I mean, I usually nerd out about this every time I really start thinking about what it means that they straight up, they followed the star from the east to Jesus, and then it shows back up and they follow him some more to Bethlehem. What kind of star is that? I don't know about, I'm like, I've read all sorts of studies. It could have been a fallen star and then another star started falling or a supernova where the star burned out, and then because it caught the, the, the atmosphere just right, we get another glimpse of it, right? But this is the part where it trips me out. It's five miles from Herod to Bethlehem. So they were so exact that the star directed them. I can get the place from the east, you know what I mean? From the east, I can get that. But then that they can go five miles... And find the exact location of where Jesus is at. No GPS. It's like, boom. I'm in Jerusalem. Now I'm in Bethlehem. Sometimes I find it hard to just find the the hamburger place around the corner. I don't know about you. But I'm going to use the local stars next time. And maybe I'll get within a couple blocks of it. But I want to start with us really seeing that these people used a star and it was specified to me, even to the special place that these people looked and they expected and God used what they loved, what they studied, what they knew to bring them to him. So kind of moving on, we see that in Matthew two, one, it says, behold, Magi from the East came to Jerusalem It's so interesting when we think about the word behold. Um, The next slide, please. See, 
Behold is a very interesting word that's used very specifically in the word. It's like, pay attention. Wake up. Look. Learn. There's something about to happen. And so when it's pointing out that, look, these they're coming. It's saying that we have to make sure and listen because this is huge. This is not something you want to miss. But the question is, why is it such a big deal? These are just wise men, right? They're kings. But I think that there's a real easiness where we hear this every year. It can become something that's so easy for us to overlook. It's easy for us to even see the heartbeat of God and knitting these people into the story of Christ being born in the very beginning, even searching him out. See, we have to be surprised because magi is the ancient word for magician, magic. But it's even specifically, we avoid it, but it's pagan astrologers is a lot of the times what it's actually tied to. Not even just any pagan astrologers, but astrologers from Babylon. And as they're from Babylon, there's a very key religion that they come from with Zoroastrianism. How many of you guys have heard of this? So I'm not going to get into Zoroastrianism, but there's a big argument from the non-faith community that Christianity stolen from Zoroastrianism because they were looking for a Messiah. They're looking for the Savior. They're looking for all these things that Christ represented. The only difference is, is they think that it was going to come from a different lineage. So it's very interesting. But why it's so important is these guys who came all this way came to see Jesus, these men who were not part of the Jews, they were not people who were necessarily seeking God in that place. They just knew that this meant something was happening and they were led. It says, behold, and to say it another way, look, the astrologers are coming. The pagan sorcerers are coming. Searching for Jesus. Wizards want to worship. If I said it like that, would that be a little bit more spectacular? I mean, if I said that, like, these guys, well, even, like, in the idea, it, I always think it's funny because we, we three kings from Orient, right? The truth is, is that even though I don't want to be sacrilegious, that's far from the truth. There's nothing in the Bible that shows us that they were kings. Now, there are men of authority, and the reason why Matthew even could suggest that in a lot of people is because it, it directly feeds into the prophecies we're going to talk about later. And we have to be eager to, to look and see even really what the facts we have and what the Bible does say about these men, because it actually is what makes it a spectacular story. It's actually what brings the amazingness to it. There's a lot of lessons that we've been taught that aren't in the Bible. Now, doesn't mean they're untrue, but there's just not enough facts for us to really come to some of that place. For instance, we know that they came from the East. Do we know where they came from? 
No. In fact, there is a lot of uh, a lot of different arguments where they came from. Now, the most probable is they came from Turkey, right? Babylon area. They came from Persia, especially with the language it uses, the tribe it would have been, as I said, Zoeastrius, right? So it's most likely that it comes from there. But the part that even makes it even more is how many magi were there? They don't know. In fact, there's a big argument of how many it was. There's the argument that some people say it's 12. And, I mean, that's a really crazy one. So it's like they actually believe they came from China. And that there was another, there's a, a like a cult or a, like a, a sub-religion that believed that Adam had another son named Seth. And they sent these 12 people over to find. And it's like crazy, crazy. But then you see that there's also people who believe there's four. There was four magi that was sent. And it's represented because of the counties, like the, the, the culture would have sent not, not just three, they would have sent four because of what the number means to the culture. You see that some say three because of the gifts, the gifts that were given, each one gave a gift. You see that Catholics take it even further and they, they name these three guys. And then you see that even some believe that there was two. And especially when you look at early Christianity, a lot of the images that were drawn were two magi. All that to say is, in reality, the, 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 no matter if there was two, four, whatever, these men traveled from a culture that was different, that really was like if Merlin, Gandalf, and Dumbledore showed up to worship Jesus. And... Like, it's like they stood out so much. They were such a different culture, no matter what the number. We're going to say three today just because it's easier for us to comprehend with the gifts. The part that is very true is they were men of authority because they had a place to speak. They had a place to enact. They had a place that ultimately had power over the people and they were learned they were educated, they studied, and all the other cultures around would come to them. But when it comes down to it, they were specialists in the supernatural, experts in astrology, magic, divination, and they were blatant violators of the Old Testament. They were directly against what the law said was holy. But they were the ones that were coming to see Jesus. As we talk about it like that, that changes a lot. They're not holy kings, but they're blatant violators of the law. That's who came to seek him. But how could they know? How could they know that the king was coming? We look at Numbers 24, 17. It says, but, uh, but not now I behold him. But not near, a star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. See, we see that this same group of people were around also in Daniel's time, right? And he was actually put over these people. And he told them many of his prophecies. They also, as educated learners, learned a lot about the Jews' prophecies, right? 
So they had them collected. They were, they were looking for anything in the sky that led. I think it's arguable that they didn't know that it was the Messiah that was coming, but they did know that it was a great king who would come and that they would bow down before. See, he'd be given when he's given for our sin at this place, they might not understand even that they needed something like this, but they recognized something was changing in the world. They recognized that there was a call of authority that was being put out. And the thing it really challenges us, if these men came seeking for God when the religious didn't, they were looking to the sky and saw, who can we say who's saved and not saved? Who can we say who can come to Christ and who can't? And ultimately, who's the ones who will be looking out for salvation when Christ comes? That's the challenge. That's why this says, behold. Because it's a, it's a wake-up call. The people who are prepared to receive Jesus are not the ones we expected. As uh, Brother Bill said, this is a house of sinners, not saints. And that's what the testimony as we come to Jesus is in that same way that they came. Their label was not holy anointed ones. It was sinner. We look at that even the relationship to magic and this word magi, right? We see that actually extra biblically, there's a few other people who um, actually come from the same exact Grouping of people that they believe, right? How many of you guys have heard of Simon, the magician? Right? He was rebuked for doing magic, right? And then asking for the power of God. Also, we see that there was another person that was in Acts 13 who also was rebuked. And was stated to be from the same tribe. But we see clearly there's a relationship that is very much against magic. So it's not saying that this is an okay behavior. But it's all of a sudden labeling them something different. Once again. That it's behold. It's not the holy coming. It's not the saints that are knowing that that, that Jesus is coming. But it is just reaffirming God's mission. That... He's here for the sick, not for the healthy. Even with those who come and recognize their Messiah was coming, was not the people who were perfect. They didn't even know they needed it. They just knew that there was a reaction that had to happen. We look that as these guys were not technically kings, they were men of authority and they bowed before Jesus. Amen? So, We look at Isaiah, the verse we read earlier, right? And we recognize, well, that's really tiny. Can you guys read that? Yeah, hopefully. In Isaiah, this prophecy was foretelling this very experience happening, right? These guys show up. Boom. What do they give? Gold. Yep. And these things possibly meant, of course, prophetically, 
Gold represent the royalty, right? Frankincense, the priesthood. And the myrrh being a sacrifice for us. We see in John 19.39, it also was put at Jesus' burial. But as we look, this is not just talking about the Christ is, is just a king of Israel. Because even before this, kind of rewinding just a few steps, it announces that they, the king of the Jews, right? King of the Jews. Where, where else does it call him the king of the Jews? At his crucifixion. These brothers didn't even know that was about to go down. Nobody else is witnesses to it. So his kingship is already placed. And as we look at a prophecy like Isaiah 60, they were recognizing his holiness, his authority, his placement. And they, they laid themselves before him. But he's the king of all nations, not one nation. The testimony of that place that they were showing up from a nation that was far out was that he was not just the king of the Jews, but he was the king of all. And he wasn't the king of just the holy, but he was the king for all. That every knee would bow. And as he's coming, and they're coming to worship him, what, what do they bring him? Their best cultural products? practices, and resources. So in other words, they're saying that even within this prophecy, I recognize the authority of this king and everything that is mine, that's worth anything, I lay before him. We fast forward to the end of the Bible. Revelations 21, 22 through 26 reads, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will not be no night there. They will bring into the glory and the honor of nations. So the nations are going to bring their gifts. They're going to lay before the king. They're going to bring before him their best. But even as their kingship, they recognize that they have to submit themselves under his authority. No matter how sinful, no matter how much they're against, they might not understand the depth of what it means to have this true king. But they recognize that that, that that power that he has is above what they understand. See, the true king of the Jews was not an ushering king. He wasn't there to take over. He wasn't there by power or by might, like Herod, abusing his power. But he was there by grace. He wasn't there being deceitful, manipulative. Or bolstering his his subjects to to fully sacrifice themselves. Rather, he came as the sacrifice for his people to be raised up and set free. Came not to be served, but to. So in that place, he gave his life as a ransom for the many. But the one who doesn't merely demand our homage, but wins it with his shocking self-giving care. 
So ultimately, at the end of the day, we have a Jesus that shocks the people. They don't even have an idea or, or a, 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 a scale for his character and his placement because it's so outside this world. Even the fact that this great king of kings that the stars led to, right, is a baby. That this God would bring forth this presence and then experience that it isn't a manifestation of power. But it is a manifestation of mercy and grace. It's shocking. Even as we see in Romans 5, 8, he died for the sinner, for the stargazer. He didn't come to empower himself and take over a government. But he came to meet the broken, to save them, to grab a hold of them. And for the humble who do bow themselves down before him, to grab hold of them and see them restored, redeemed, and brought back into the presence that he has for them. See, this side of the cross, we might wander at times not knowing the path that we're going on. But we're in the same way trying to follow a star or follow the things we love. Kind of going back to those seven lessons, I'm going to jump through them within this story real quick, okay? And then I'm going to apply them. We look at first that he uses the stars. He uses their education. He uses this to get them engaged with something they don't understand and don't know. He gets them to look and know that there is a fulfillment that's about to happen. But just because they see the star, does that mean that they actually are going to believe anything? No, they have to travel and see the fulfillment of what the word is. And in the process of it, they know that the joy is getting fulfilled more and more as they come close to seeing this Jew king. This authority. But was it that they simply were like, oh, I walked this whole way. He's not here. I give up. No. Now we can read this and think that they just spoke one person. But do you know how hard it is to get before a king? Do you know how hard it is to get through that whole process and talk to, and then to be recalled and to to have Herod just freaking out probably, tripping, is probably really hard. So they did whatever it took to see this Jesus, to worship him, to, to, to be before the Messiah, the king, and lay themselves down. But as they presented themselves before him, were they, did, were they bold and were they like, He deserves nothing. No. At that place, they humbled themselves before the king. And they presented themselves like they were the ones being blessed. And it didn't matter any longer before the king, their background. It didn't matter where they came from. It didn't matter where they struggled. It didn't matter where they had fallen. It didn't matter what they understood or didn't know. But in the presence where his testimony of God being there and his authority, none of that mattered because they recognized they were before greatness. They were before the glory. They were before the Messiah. And to finish it, they couldn't go back to Herod 
They couldn't fulfill what the world wanted. So they couldn't compromise. They couldn't be here and actually sacrifice Jesus. Now, to kind of bring this back, because I'm a big believer that this is a beautiful story. But if we don't understand how to apply the word, like if we don't learn lessons from every bit of the word, then we just know a bunch of knowledge and don't know anything. How to apply it. How to say to somebody what this even looks like. But the truth is, is that there's all sorts of things he uses in our lives to lead us to him. And almost always he'll lead us to humbling ourselves. But he'll use the very things we love, the things that we trust, to direct us fully into his arms. Because we're willing to trust that even when we're not willing to trust him. So we have an unorthodox God who we cannot judge in his direction. Because ultimately he's guiding us into the full experience of him. Amen? So when we're being challenged by God to step forward, recognize that God knows you better than you know yourself. And the path he's leading you in is going to be one that ultimately you find yourself at his feet. See, but the thing is, is that just because you see the direction you're supposed to go, just because you see the way that you're, you're, it's obvious it's that way, right? Doesn't mean anything if you don't take the journey. And almost always, when you start to take the journey, the first thing it's going to do is challenge the beliefs you had before you started the journey. See, it's actually in the journey that you actually get the reality of what it really means to believe God. What it means to actually see him. Because before that moment, they didn't have any context for who the Messiah was. And the reality is actually in the challenge of where he's asking you to believe him and you to trust him and you to be with him. And you to know how it is to be loved and you to know how it is to be hoped for and that you don't have to be perfect and you don't have to do everything and you don't have to actually be the perfect Christian and you don't actually have to fulfill all these rubrics that actually the world is teaching us. The reality is it takes a journey for you to trust that. But we have to be willing to let our beliefs be broken along the way so that we can see it's actually God's greatness that is qualifying us, not our goodness. See, then we see that ultimately, we, once we start this journey and our beliefs start to be challenged, that we have to be willing to do whatever it takes to see the end of the journey. Because sometimes the cost costs a lot. Sometimes there's a few extra steps and it seems a little messy. Sometimes it means just like Jesus had to be taken to Egypt before he came back to Israel. And sometimes for us, there's extra steps along the way that you have to recognize to get into the end. So when your beliefs are being challenged, sometimes that means you have to clean up the beliefs that you had before. Sometimes that means you have to go back and say sorry. Sometimes you have to go and say, you know what? I got to learn from somebody. I got to love. Sometimes it just means that you got to just testify like we did at the beginning. But we can't judge the extra steps. We have to be willing to do whatever it takes to worship in the process. Because a God who's saying you're not qualified based off your goodness, but my goodness Just as asking for us to participate. So in the journey that we're participating with, it's all about us being willing 
to participate even when we don't feel qualified. See, the thing is, is though, as we do whatever it takes, what does it call us to do before a king? Humble ourselves. Because the truth is, is that did you guys know you guys are all royalty? Whether you know it or not, you're adopted into royalty. So that means that there is a real place that there's regalness about you. That you, especially in an American culture, do we have rights? Do we have privileges? Well, guess what? We have to choose whether we put those rights and privileges down before a king who deserves them. And the truth is, is that that what is what it looks like when we humble ourselves to really believe that it, you're based off his goodness, not yours means you have to quit trying to prove yourself and quit trying to like be in this place to, to be, take your rights and what you deserve. Because the truth is, is when you're based off his goodness, it actually means that you receive the things that are from his goodness, not the things that you have to earn for yourself. And what you recognize is actually as you humble yourself, you receive the things that are great, not just the things that are good that you provide for you. You actually get to participate with the king rather than just participate with your reflection. See, the truth is, is it comes back to the place is, is that as we present this place of humbleness, we can then give what is the best that we have. We can give it to God. I don't got to be afraid if I'm, it's not based off of my goodness that he's going to give me what's good from him. I don't have to hold for myself. I don't have to hide it from me. Because the truth is, is that God actually has something for me that's supposed to heal me, change me, grow me, and actually show me what it is to be loved. So if I don't need to hold on to it anymore, that means I can give it all. And the truth is, is that the lesson as we participate, just as they participated, they gave the best that they had. The question along the way is, are we willing to let go of the best so maybe we can receive the best? As we follow that up, it then begs the question, is it, was it ever about our background or where we came from? Actually, as we surrender what we have, we're no longer defined based off us. We're actually defined based off him. And as we see through the rest of the scriptures, we actually are hidden in Christ, right? We are dead to ourselves, but we get to reside with him. So we see as we go through this journey, we walk it out, we give him ourselves, we actually are seeing the fulfillment of a promise that we're defined off him. We're, we're blessed by him. And everything's given to us by him. But it means we just got to stop being everything to ourselves. Because ultimately it comes back down to this last lesson, even as we walk it out. God can bring forth all the beautiful things in the world, right? He can lead us to change. He can lead us to the Messiah. We can see the joy. We can see it in the world that we're in. We can see that this journey brings us to a place that we no longer even look like we looked like before. It might mean that, like, you got excited and, like, let's say you... Wanted to be a movie star. You get to Hollywood. All of a sudden, you meet 
Brad Pitt, who's an atheist, and he tells you about Jesus. And then you're like, oh, no, ah, ah, and but that means that you actually have to give up your lifestyle. And then as you give up your lifestyle, and I know this, I'm just talking about Shia LaBeouf, but then Shia LaBeouf went crazy. But <laughs> the truth is, is that his, ma- like all the things that mattered in his life, all the, the place of his fame, all these different things didn't matter anymore. In that same place, it doesn't matter if we're an addict in this building. It doesn't matter if you've lived your whole life with Christ. It doesn't matter if you came from the best stock in the world. It doesn't matter if you hate yourself, you love yourself. It doesn't matter if you're an orphan or in a family. But our Christ, as we follow him, says that you're fully placed with him. And he gives us all we need. And it's actually, we start being defined by him. But the thing is, is we can't go back to the way that we were. And all of us can't compromise to this world. This world's always asking for something. It's asking something, all of us. All Jesus is asking for is our hand. The truth is, is as we really taste that goodness, it's our choice to give up the rest. But the world, the world wants our life. See, our, our God with his love and his goodness and his kindness has brought each of you here today. I don't know what any of you guys are struggling with. I don't know what any of you guys have in your lives on Facebook, on YouTube. I don't know what you guys are struggling with, but I know that my Jesus who was born on that day had sinners come to him, changed their lives has also changed all of ours. Through the unorthodox, he has shown us goodness. And no matter what this world has offered you, I promise you as you surrender it, you actually receive something even better. And where that little voice inside of you says you don't like you or you struggle with you or there's bad things or judgment of your mistakes, my God is in court right now in this moment. And he's saying that you have been forgiven. His birth was your payment. His death was the bill paid. And his resurrection is your redemption. Bow your heads with me as we enter in. Lord Jesus, it's so funny that we continue to go on this race This race where somehow if I run faster and I run harder and I run in this circle and I make it better and I make it, I make myself fixed, I'll be a better, I'll be better for you. But Lord, that's never what you've asked. You've asked for us to be bowed down before you. You asked us to interact with you. You asked for us to participate with your love and your goodness and that that would lead us to transformation. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to reach out and grab hold of that. That no matter what is happening, (laughs) whether we're knocking over tables (laughs) or we're sitting here uncomfortable and we're in judgment, that we can see that if we grab hold of you, that you will guide us to your light to your feet and ultimately to your presence.
I pray for everybody here that they would get to experience that presence and wherever there is a place of lack. I pray for the people on Facebook and YouTube, wherever their testimonies, I pray that they would put them on Facebook and YouTube. But I pray that even that you would be impacting them. That in that place where we lose sight, you haven't. And that you will guide us with your hands. That you have never left hold of us. Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves to follow that. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you.